Welcome to Mosaic Podcast. We hope you enjoy the following recording from Mosaic Church, Leeds, based in the United Kingdom. For more podcasts and information on Mosaic Church, please visit mosaic-church.org.uk. Thank you for listening. It's good to be here today. Today is my wife and my 17th anniversary. And I, and I kissed her as I walked out the door and said... Nothing says I love you like being gone all day, preaching at three services in another city. We will celebrate tomorrow. And um, and uh, yes, it's a special day for us. Uh, but I am really happy to be here. I always love coming to this gathering, being with you guys. Um, just wanted to mention, one of the things that I do um, is lead something called the Leeds School of Theology. And it used to be called the Mosaic Theology Track. And it's the same thing, but we've just rebranded it and opened it up to a lot of other churches and um, people. In fact, raise your hand if you've done that or been connected to that in any way. So a good number. I mean, look at all these wonderful people. They are amazing, aren't they? And um, so I just wanted, wanted to say we'll be... We'll be doing another round from next January. And if it's something you've been interested in, studying theology a bit more, really getting into scripture and what does scripture say and how do we, how do we work out some of the big issues of faith and theology, please consider doing that. And you'll hear more about that when um, registration opens up and everything. Well, as Dan said, we are finishing. This is the third part of a three-part series all about the Last Supper. And this one is called The Greatest. And um, <clears throat> this, this story is so interesting. It shows us a number of big themes about the cross, about God's plan for redemption, um, and about the heart and character of Jesus. And it all happens the night before the cross. So it's a very dramatic kind of setting. It's just before Jesus is arrested and the anguish of the crucifixion descends on him. And we've seen, I think in our first time, we talked about how Judas and Peter would both betray Jesus in different ways. Thought about the amazing way that Jesus treats them, even though he knows what will happen. And even what that means in our lives, as we all in different ways betray Jesus as well. And we've also seen the significance of Jesus as the Passover lamb giving his body and blood that we might experience God's love and salvation. And today, we want to look at another important episode related to that, where Jesus uses what is happening to teach and demonstrate something to the disciples. So I want to read through the text. If you have a Bible or a phone or whatever else, please feel free to (laughs) turn it on or open it. Luke 22, 24 to 30 is our text. And I'll read through it and then we'll kind of walk through it together. I'll make some points off of it. A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was considered to be greatest. So the, debu- the, the, the argument, the dispute is about, they're arguing who would be the greatest. Je- Jesus said to them, The kings of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. It's kind of a strange word. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is at the table, or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table, but I am among you as one 
who serves. You are those who have stood by me in my trials, and I confer on you a kingdom, just as my Father conferred one on me, so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. You know, it's interesting, isn't it? Jesus really loves meals. I do too. I appreciate that about him. And it's interesting that this is Jesus' last main time with his disciples, this group of men who he has spent the last three years with and really just lived life with, invested in, shown them who he was, done great miracles with them. And he only has a few hours left with them. And what does he choose to do? Let's have a meal together. Let's eat together and talk about life and his mission and what's going on. And it's a very personal and intimate scene. One of the more intimate scenes in the Gospels. Um, the picture is really of all of them reclining around a low table, enjoying a meal, um, which is rich with friendship and with theological meaning. And, you know, we often think of Da Vinci's famous Last Supper um, um, painting, don't we, when we think of this scene. And, you know, they're all kind of sat around this big, broad table. I would propose that that's not the most accurate representation of what was really going on. Uh, I think we have another picture. You can't see it all that well, unfortunately. But it's very likely that um, they were... Uh, sitting on, you know, uh, pillows and, 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 and lounging, kind of reclining around a very low table together. And um, very close together. It probably wasn't a big banqueting. So don't think of it like your dining room with tables and chairs and things like that. It was probably um, very informal and um, um, very relaxed. And they're observing the Passover feast, which would have had all sorts of significance for them. They would have known the story of the Passover, of um, putting blood on the door frames to spare the firstborn children, and that leading to uh, the Exodus, coming out of captivity and slavery in Egypt, and eventually coming into the Promised Land. So this whole meal was rich with theological significance for them. And they would have all been very aware of the meaning of the meal um, as they were together around this table. And, you know, Jesus is sharing his heart with them. Uh, It's a very personal scene. Um, So verse 24, again, it says, A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. It's kind of sad, isn't it, that the night before Jesus' death, what they're debating about is who will be the greatest. It shows something about the human heart, doesn't it? They were still focused on an earthly kingdom. And Jesus, it's fascinating his response. He wants to tell them how different it actually is in his kingdom. But another thing you need to understand about this table and about how it worked is that the place, can anybody guess? So you have the host sitting at the center of this table. And then the positioning of the guests around the table really matters. Where would be the position of greatest honor? Yep, the host's right hand. Where would be the next position of greatest honor? 
the left. And then second to the right would be third. And then second to the left would be fourth and so on. So the position, and, and, and often the table would have been like a big square table or rectangle table. And one end would have been empty. And they would have all sat around Jesus, the host. And so I think what they were doing is they were actually jostling for position. I want to get at his right hand. <laughs> I want to be in the position of greatest honor. I want to be the greatest. Isn't that interesting? And um, and so they're 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 literally arguing about this and about where to sit. Sometimes the disciples just seem very childlike, and yet I relate so deeply to them in many ways. Um, and Jesus's response is pretty blunt. He makes a direct contrast between worldly greatness or authority and greatness in his kingdom. So, verse twenty-five. He said to them, the kings of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. So he's saying a worldly king is evaluated by the power and authority he exercised over others. Lording it over is an interesting phrase. It's, you know, it's about, it's about having power or authority. And does anyone know what that word benefactor means? What was a benefactor? What's that? Yeah, someone who gives good things. Um, benefactor in the ancient world was, that's a, that's a very modern picture there, but a benefactor tended to be royalty or very wealthy, someone of great privilege, and that's right, they would, um, they would give things to others. Uh, the Greek word is euergetes, if you were curious, which I'm sure none of you were. And, um, and um, how it worked in the ancient world is this. If you were a benefactor, you had clients. Um, and basically, there was an agreement, a mutual agreement between you. You provided for them protection, provision, um, job opportunities, resources, and they provide for you Honor, praise, kind of public support, loyalty, you know. And so this benefactor thing was very much about privilege and position and honor and glory. And so Jesus is saying calling them benefactors was a very, um, a, a very public, a proud position. Yeah? And so... Um, um, it would have been someone who would often be lording it over those underneath. But Jesus says, it's not the king, but the servant who obtains that title in my kingdom. And there's a direct contrast here with greatness in the kingdom. So verse 26 and 27. So he contrasts it. He said, so they lord it over them, and they call themselves, and they're called benefactors, but, but, you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater? The one who is at the table or the one who serves? It is not, is it not the one at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. So Jesus is insisting on a different kind of greatness. The one who rules or leads must be like the one who serves, or even like the youngest. 
And he doesn't just insist on this, he also models it. It's really interesting when he asks the question, who's greater, the one who at the table or the one who serves? So the, 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 it, the implication is that Jesus was actually up serving them like a servant would. That he's actually not just sitting as the host in the position of greatest honor, but that he is up serving them. Um, the food and the wine and the different things that are going on. That would have been extremely counter-cultural in a society where kind of appropriate roles and honor were so important. And he's modeling a kind of servant leadership, which was as rare in the ancient world as it is in the modern world today. And we know actually from John chapter 13 that just before this happened, just before he says these things, what does he do? Yeah, he washes his disciples' feet. And that is like the ultimate humble act of service and sacrifice. See, you have to understand, we don't really get washing feet today, and I kind of understand why. But all of these people, they would have been wearing sandals. They would have walked a long, dusty, muddy, dirty road to get there. And one of the first things that would happen when you arrive at a home for a meal with friends is your feet need to be washed. Because why? They're stinky. They're gross. And that is like a very humble servant job to do. You can imagine why. Because you get stinky and gross when you do it. So for Jesus... To take up the towel, to wash his disciples' stinky feet. He's the rabbi. They're the followers. They're the disciples. They're the learners. And yet the leader, the rabbi, has reversed it all and is now washing their feet. That is quite a statement. And you have to understand, this is the context for Jesus making, saying what he's saying is that actually, I've just demonstrated to you, not just by serving you the food, but by actually washing your stinky, nasty feet. Wow. Has anybody ever been done a foot washing before here? Okay, a few. See, I grew up in a church, I actually proposed that we do it this morning and that got shot down, but that's okay. I grew up in a church where, where, where we, from time to time we would actually do that. And it was weird. Just somebody touching your feet is weird to begin with, right? And it was a bit gross. Because even though we didn't walk in sandals and through the dirt and mud, your feet still tend to stink, don't they? And some people have weird-looking feet, calluses on their feet, all sorts of interesting growths. And, you know, it's, it's, it's very humbling to wash feet. Even today, it's very humbling to do that. And for Jesus to do it is like the ultimate reversal. He's saying something about what greatness really is. Can you see that? And of course, ultimately we know it's not just him washing feet. He goes to the cross, doesn't he? The next day, he gives his life the ultimate sacrifice, the ultimate picture of a humble, serving king willing to die for others in the most humiliating and terrifying of ways. 
So all of this makes it really clear. All of these different things are coming together when Jesus is doing this little teaching to his disciples. All of this makes it really clear. Greatness in God's kingdom is not defined by a position or a resume or a title. It's not about being called a benefactor, but by our attitude, our humility, and sacrificial service to others. Can you see that in the story? This is what Jesus is trying to get across, both to his disciples and to us today. And I want to make four quick points that I think are really important about this story. And we're going to finish the text, the last couple of verses at the very end. Number one, you were made for greatness. That's not where you were expecting my first point to go, is it? Isn't it interesting that Jesus never rebukes his disciples for desiring greatness? He just redefines what greatness actually is. You see that? He doesn't say, stupid disciples, why are you arguing about who's going to be the greatest? That's so immature of you. I'm sure he would do that in a very holy, humble way. But he doesn't. He actually just says, yes, but but you've got the wrong idea of what greatness actually is. And that's really important. I think we're all made for greatness. But the issue is, what does it mean to be great? And the disciples weren't necessarily wrong to seek it, but they misunderstood its definition because they had allowed the culture of the world to define it for them. I think all of us have this longing for significance, this this longing to make an impact, to change the world, to be part of something bigger than ourselves. I think that's been put there by God himself. He's made us that way. I think those dreams are godly and redemptive. And it's why we love stories and films and, you know, books where a normal person becomes great and does amazing things and changes the world. You know, we just love that, don't we? Because we want to we, we, we want to live vicariously through them against all the odds. They defeat evil and, and experience greatness. Can anybody think of any stories like that that are popular that we might know or be familiar with? Yeah. <laughs> it's almost like you've seen my notes, Dan. That's actually my, that's my first example. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's not just You know, the hobbits are like the most humble and lowly of beings. And Frodo, and they are so simple and so, you know, just people of the earth and, 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 um, and yet they end up becoming the people who literally save Middle Earth in this epic book and in these epic films. And we love that story because we relate to it in some ways. And we, and we, and we love the, I love the journey of Frodo's transformation from this very simple farming hobbit into, you know, at the end he's, he's royalty and he's, but it's come through incredible sacrifice and incredible humility. Can anyone else think of any other examples of this kind of character? David and Goliath, yeah, the ultimate kind of underdog story. Simple shepherd boy slays the great military giant 
with a simple slingshot and again changes the course of history for nations and of course ends up becoming king and a, and a, and a man after God's own heart. Good. Anyone else? <laughs> yeah. That's why the whole nation, I mean, is just loving Leicester City right now. I generally am actually a Tottenham supporter, but I want Leicester to win because it's just the ultimate story. And um, and they have a chance, if they beat Manchester United this afternoon, they will clinch the title, which is unbelievable. And we love that because they were fighting relegation this time last year. And there's something in all of us that's like, yeah, <laughs> I I can relate to that and I want to be that way. And they're just a simple, there's no superstar. Well, there are some amazing players, but they play as a team. It's so good. Such a, such a lesson. We can learn so much from them. Good. Anyone else? Wait, wait, wait. A couple, say it again. Eric Little. Yes. Yes. The Chariots of Fire story and, and, and running, uh, he ends up winning a, 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 a marathon, a, a, a race, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good example. What else, someone? Luke Skywalker. Yes. Yes. Again, and, and the way that Luke discovers who he really is, and, um, and, um, <laughs> we could take that in a few different directions. But yeah, good example. Anyone else? Yes. So very simple background, ended up being very influential. Good. Brilliant, yeah, built amazing bridges and canals that are probably still around. And um, yeah, good, good. Um, I thought of a couple of others, you know, very kind of popular cultural references. Harry Potter, you know, again, this simple little guy. Who ends up, um, who ends up being very powerful and very great and influencing all sorts of things. Or what about the, 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 the Narnia stories and the four children? And one of the things I love most is they're just these normal kids here in this world. And then when they get, when they go to Narnia, they become kings and queens. With incredible power and um, greatness, and yet a desire to serve that nation. And you know why these stories? This is like the story. The reason why it's so why it's so popular is that it resonates with something inside of all of us that I believe has been put there by God. You know, I talk to my kids who are eleven and thirteen. And we talk about, and they want their lives to count. They want to live for something big. They want to be a part of something bigger than themselves. And I don't want to, I don't want to squelch that. The problem is that we've been taught to go about it in the wrong way. And just quickly, in my experience, one of two things tends to happen to those of us who dare to dream bigger. One is we get beaten down. We get told, oh, you're worthless. You're unworthy. And eventually we give up on this desire and we just try to conform to the norm around us and we reduce to the least common denominator. And we, we give up on this desire for radical greatness. And that's sin because that's devaluing 
a precious person made in the image of God for great things, destined for great things. The other, the other thing that tends to happen is the opposite, which is that we get built up and we become puffed up in pride and arrogance and, and, and we do end up actually lording it over others in an ungodly way. And that's also sin because it's self-exalting and self-consumed rather than God-exalting and consumed with others. It's more about self than about God and others. But I just feel God saying really strongly, guys, he's put that desire inside of you. Not just to be mediocre, but to be bold and radical, to make your life count. The issue is just what does that mean? And it might be worth asking, which of those two do you tend towards? A kind of, oh, I'm really not worth much. Or a kind of, oh yes, I'm so much better than pride or arrogance. Okay, the second quick thought is the way up is down. Yes, you were made for greatness, as I've been trying to say, but as is so often the case, the kingdom of God is an upside-down kingdom in which up is down, down is up, in which the last will be first and the first will be last, in which the lowest are actually the highest. Matthew 20.16, Jesus says, So the last will be first and the first will be last. And we see this theme all throughout Scripture, especially the Gospels. And practically, one of the messages of this story is if you want to be great in God, lower yourself and serve more than anyone else. The people who end up rising to positions of influence and authority are usually those who who work the hardest and sacrifice the most, who give themselves on behalf of others. Service leads to greatness in God's kingdom. The way up is down. That's really important to remember. And Jesus is trying to make that point. Third thought, will your life be about giving or getting? You know, we all have a big choice to make. Is our life going to be founded on giving or on getting? And the truth is, if we base life on getting for ourselves, we end up missing uh, friendship with people, intimacy and friendship with God. Um, It's really hard to love a person that's just consumed with themselves whose life is ultimately all about getting rather than giving. And so just take a moment of honest reflection. Are you more driven by what you can get for yourself or by what you can give away to others? And the answer to that question will probably tell you how you're doing at serving. What kind of kingdom greatness exists in your life. Jesus says um, in Acts 20.35, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And that word blessed... Actually, it sounds very spiritual and religious. You know what it means? Happy. You'll be more happy giving than receiving. It's a very simple idea there. And I have experienced that so many times in my life. My greatest joy, my greatest happiness has often been when I have given rather than when I have gotten. And a big point here which I think I've made before, and I just will mention it again. Humility, real humility, is not about thinking less of yourself. It's not about demeaning yourself, saying, oh, I'm unworthy. That's humiliation. That's not humility. 
Real humility is about thinking of yourself less, thinking of others more. And that comes from a place of real security of knowing who I am, who God says I am, what Jesus has done for me, and therefore I don't have to worry so much about me. I can think about everyone else. I can love the people around me. I can serve them. I can sacrifice for them because I know who I am and I'm secure in that. And that is so important because of what Jesus has done. I was reading a book uh, um, this week and it talked about the freedom of self-forgetfulness. When you just don't have to worry so much about you because you are free to love and serve others around you. And that's a beautiful freedom. And when we're freed from obsession with self, that doesn't mean we neglect ourselves. We take care of ourselves. Yes. But when we're freed from self-obsession, from being consumed with self, then we're set free to really live this out, to prefer others, to give more than receive. And that's a wonderful thing. And the last quick thought, and I don't think I'm going to go into this too much, um, is this life is training for reigning. Now that's interesting, isn't it? It's fascinating to me that the last few verses, let's just read them again, 28 to 30. So right after he says to them, you'll be great through serving. He says, you are those who have stood by me in my trials. You've stuck with me. You've been faithful. And I confer on you a kingdom just as my father conferred one on me so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. It's so fascinating that he finishes this way. As he's calling them to service, he also gives them a promise. He notes their faithfulness, you know, which is kind of a contrast with the betrayer. And he says, because you've shared in my suffering, you will also share in my authority and my rule. Um, and, and that involves um, table fellowship with him. Isn't it interesting? He says, you'll eat and drink at my table in my kingdom. You know, they're sitting around the table eating and drinking together. And he says, there's another table coming. There's another feast coming. And in addition to that messianic banquet table, they will rule with him. They will sit on, even sit on thrones with him. And these words about greatness are really important because they come in the shadow of Jesus' death. The disciples are about to go through the ultimate crisis of their lives. And they need to know that there's something beyond that. No matter how bad it gets, a day is going to come when vindication and authority will reign. And so, is this promise unique to the to the eleven? I think in some ways it is, and I think in some ways it isn't. And there's actually a big New Testament theme that we don't talk about all that much of being co-heirs with Christ and of co-reigning with Him as sons and daughters of the King of all kings. Just a couple quick verses, 2 Timothy 2.12. If we endure, we will also reign with Him. Isn't that interesting? In Revelation 5.10, You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. But here's the point, guys. This involves suffering, lowliness, humility, and sacrifice in this life. It's preparing our characters to be the kind of people that can take that same heart, that same character, into reigning with Christ and the glory that awaits us in the future. Those who have shared in the bearing of Christ's cross will someday share in the wearing of Christ's crown. And that is a real promise. But this life is about training. 
And you know what? Training hurts sometimes. If you've ever trained for any athletics competition, I used to be a serious swimmer. And um, we had the meanest coach ever. The first day of every season, she would literally push us until somebody vomited. And we always knew that was going to happen. And it was just, we were looking at each other, who's going who's gonna to lose it first? Um, but you know what? And, and she pushed us really hard. But when, 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 when the end of the season came, we were glad for that. Training sometimes hurts, but it's a powerful place of development, of character and heart, of humility, service and sacrifice, giving our lives away to others and growing into the kinds of people that Christ can trust to reign with him in his kingdom. So you're made for greatness in God's kingdom, but that comes through serving others in God sacrificially. And so I just have a simple question to leave us with. I mean, this is, this is a very simple, um, message really. How is God asking you to serve today? How is God leading you to serve today? And I was thinking, there are so many things, both small and big, that can make such a difference in blessing others. How can you take up the towel? How can you Wash people's feet metaphorically. How can you take the place of lowness, get underneath people, and bless them and serve them? And um, this is something our family tries to do in different ways. And, and this is something that our family has received in all sorts of ways as well. And I was just thinking, you know, even this week, um, two little things happened that meant a lot to me. One was... Um, one, one of us left our keys in the front door. I think we were bringing in groceries or something. And um, um, so there was a knock on the door. And this total stranger, never seen, never met, said, are these your keys? And I was so thankful. You know, they could have just taken them. Anybody could have taken them. I was so blessed. And then just a couple nights ago, um, we had some people over. And um, one of our neighbors from actually like five or six doors down knocked on the door and said, um, is this, uh, uh, one of them had left their lights on in their car. And she had literally been going up and down all the houses, knocking, because, you know, she didn't want their battery to go dead. And I was really thankful for that. Again, it's these little things that mean a lot. And sometimes it's big things. When we first moved here to Sheffield um, from America, we shipped a whole bunch of furniture over, and a lot of it was like flat packed. And one of my friends, a, 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 a flatmate from uni, actually made it his mission trip that year to come for a week and just to help us set up our new home. And he just worked from morning to late. And I was thinking about the, that as I was preparing this message and thinking, what a servant he was. And it blessed us so much. I don't know if we could have done it without his help. And, um, We've just been blessed in so many ways. So so the point I want to make, guys, is this. Let's give our hearts to serving and loving others and pursue the kind of greatness in the kingdom that comes through serving. Let's take a moment, and I, I really want you to think of one or two things. What can you do to serve, to love? I think it needs to start in our homes with the people that we live with, our spouses, our children, our families. The church is obviously a wonderful place to serve. 
And one other thing that I thought of as I was driving up this morning, maybe there's a way that you can get involved with the refugee crisis that's going on and serve them. I mean, I know that's a bigger thing, but I bet there are refugees placed here in Leeds. I have friends that are going down to the jungle and in Calais to uh, to serve there and different things. Maybe that's a bigger thing, but I think God wants to release, you know, a revolution of servants who really who really understand this and live this way. So let's just take one quick moment. In fact, why don't we all stand up? I'm going to pray. And I want you to just just reflect on this and say, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? How are you leading me? And then we're going to respond in worship and do a few other things um, to, 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 to seal this in our hearts. So let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you that greatness comes through serving. Thank you that there is incredible joy and happiness in giving. And I pray, Lord, that um, each one of us today, in simple, little, and big ways, would walk away from here knowing how to serve and bless others around us. Speak a practical word to us. And release a revelation and a revolution of servants in our midst who care for our communities, who care for our neighbors, who love the least and the lost and the broken around us, and who find that incredible place of kingdom greatness and laying down our lives sacrificially for others. And Lord, help us to do it together as well. Not just solo. It's a lot of fun to serve with others in a team. So give us partners in this. Let our mission groups rise up and find ways to serve. Let our our, our, our marriages and our families, help us show our children how to do this, how to live this way. Give us a few things that we can take from here. Thank you for the joy, the privilege, the honor, the, the happiness.